God is good. God is good. All right. Well, we like Brett said, we are wrapping up our series on suffering. I know we couldn't cover everything we wanted to, and we know that there's so much more to talk about with suffering. But we hoped in our time together that we had just prepared you guys and begin to lay the groundwork for the things that that God will be speaking to us and the way in which God cares for us in the midst of suffering. We are starting a series on Luke, and this is going to be a, a bit of a longer series that we're going to dig into Luke, and I want to just give you a quick kind of uh, look forward to the way this series is going gonna, is gonna to hash out. We're going we're gonna to dig into Luke today. We're going to start in Luke 3, and we're going to take Luke, and we're going to go till about September 18, okay? September 18, we'll start a, a combined series with Living Word and Crosspoint Church on the Kingdom of God, and we'll do that for 10 weeks. Then on November 20th, we'll have a combined service together, probably at Villa Cesar with the three churches. And after that, we'll, we'll, we'll jump into Luke 1 and 2, which will bring us to the first of the year. And at that point, we'll finish up with where we, where we left off in Luke in September. Does that make sense? That's, that's the next eight months for you guys. But um, God's got a plan in all of it. And we're, I'm so excited about Luke. I feel like for us, this is, I've been desiring to do this series for a while now. And finally, to be able to, to start this, it's been a long time coming. So I'm excited about it. Let's just pray and commit our time to the Lord. Lord, we thank you for crying children. God, we thank you for babies. God, we thank you for just the, uh, the joy it is to be able to dedicate Juliana this morning. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word speaks to us today. God, thank you that the words that you have given to us are relevant for our lives, for our church, for our nation, for the world. And God, I pray that as we dig into your word this morning, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would speak to us. You would convict us. You would give us the gift of repentance. You'd give us the gift of faith. So Lord, we thank you again for being able to come together this morning. Commit ourselves to you again. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, as a brief intro to Luke, I want to just kind of give you a snapshot of the book of Luke, and so you have a better idea when you know who the author is and some of the purposes he's writing this book for of some of the things in, that he says and why he says them. So Luke was a book written by Luke, okay? But Luke is kind of a two-volume work. So you've got the Gospel of Luke, and you've got the book of Acts. So they're written by Luke, both of them together, and they're kind of one story in two parts. It's the work and ministry of Christ on the earth, then it's the work and ministry of Christ through the Holy Spirit and through disciples in the book of Acts. Now Luke is an interesting character because he is a travel companion to Paul. We see this in the book of Acts. He was also a physician. So being a physician, Luke is a guy who keeps careful notes. You'll notice he, he, he includes things that some of the other gospel writers do not. And so he's, he's, he's watching, he's keeping careful track, he's writing things down, he's, he's, he's kind of bringing stories to life by the details he includes. Now Luke is also unique because he's the only Gentile author that we have in the New Testament, and I believe in all of Scripture. 
And so Luke here is unique in the fact that he is not Jewish, doesn't come from a Jewish family, wasn't raised in, in, in the Jewish culture, community. So he doesn't have all the kind of background information that some of the other gospel writers have as they wrote their stories. And so we'll find as we read Luke, he doesn't assume that we all know exactly what he's talking about. Kind of gives us a little background maybe or just further explains things. And so for us who are Gentiles, have a better idea of what he's saying. And he wrote the book to Gentile Christians so that they would see that the good news of Jesus Christ is for all people. So we're going to see time and time again, this message of Jesus Christ isn't just for a few people. Says this is the message that needs to go out into all the world. This is for all people. Now, within that framework, we see a couple of themes emerge in Luke. Okay, First thing we see is the work of the Holy Spirit. There's an ongoing work of the Holy Spirit that keeps breaking into everyday life. We see it especially in Luke 1 and 2. The Holy Spirit keeps breaking into people's lives. Not only that, but we see Luke and we see him showing Jesus with a concern for the poor and the rejected and the outcast. This is what this, this gospel is so beautiful. He's not writing to a bunch of rich people who've got their lives together. He's saying, guys, look, I want to tell you something about Jesus. This Jesus that we're talking about, man, he loves the poor. He loves the broken. He loves the, those who are suffering, those who've been rejected. He's, a, he's, he's their friend. He's a friend of sinners, the outcast of society. And lastly, there's other themes, but lastly, we also see that this book is about the person and work of Jesus Christ. We get an up-close and personal view of what Jesus said, the things that he did, the people he interacted with, the stories he told. We get an upfront personal view of who Jesus is in his life, in his death, and his resurrection. This is the big picture of who Jesus is. And so I love digging into this because I, I believe this is the very thing that we as a church need to really sink our teeth into. All right, if you want to turn with me to Luke 3. Luke chapter 3. We're going to look today, starting verse 1 and go to verse 14. And in this passage, we see a picture of John the Baptist. So we ask the question, who is John the Baptist? Well, this begins to answer some of those questions for us. And so this message today is going to be, we're going to look at three different parts of this. We're going to look at the setup, the message of John the Baptist, and then the response. Okay, so let's start with the setup. This is Luke 3, we're going to read verses 1 through 6. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate began governor of Judea and Herod being Tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip, Tetrarch of the region of Iturea, and Trachonitis, and Licinius, Tetrarch of Abilene. During the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. And he went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance, for the forgiveness of sins, as it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, 
Prepare the way of the Lord. Make His paths straight. Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill shall be made low. And the crooked shall become straight, and the rough places shall become level ways. And all flesh shall see the salvation of God. What I love about this kind of intro to the ministry of John the Baptist is he begins to show the different kind of powers of the world at the time. So in verses 1 and 2, he begins to show, okay, here's who we have. We've got the world powers in Rome. We've got the, the, the political powers at hand, and we've also then have the religious powers in Annas and Caiaphas. We've got these two powerhouses that you have to deal with. And he says it's in the midst of history, it's in the midst of this kind of setup in the world that the Word of God begins to break in and speak. And it's just like God to say, look, here's these two things that people put their hope and their trust in, in the government and in religion. And he says, but in the midst of those things, the Word of God breaks in. The Word of God speaks. And what he does is he says, look, this is what the Word of God is. He says, John the Baptist is given the word. Here's what the word is. It's a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Now, John the Baptist just isn't your everyday, ordinary street preacher. John the Baptist has a complete, unique calling. And John the Baptist, as, he, as Luke shows in this passage out of Isaiah 40, that he's the prophetic forerunner to the Messiah, the Savior. So here he is, John the Baptist, the fulfillment of Isaiah. He wrote this passage 700 years prior, and he's saying this is the guy who's the fulfillment of this prophetic word. And here's his word, prepare the way of the Lord. Prepare the way of the Lord. That's John's message, prepare the way. And so in ancient times, a king would, would come out and visit the, the regions that he was, he was ruling, he would send out forerunners into the areas. He says, look, here's what I want you to do. I want you to prepare the way before me. Get the roads straight and level. I want the towns cleaned up. I want everything looking nice. So when I show up to town, man, I want to come with all my pomp and all my power and all my glory so everyone can see how great I am, right? You know, we kind of do this today. We, we do this with movie stars and rolling out the red carpet we have all the security guards and the barricades. Michelle and I were, were eating dinner one time at this little restaurant in Chicago called Bandera. And it's this, it's this restaurant we love. It's on Michigan Avenue. It's like on the second story. And we're eating there, and we're sitting at the window, and we look down, and there's all these barricades, and there's people lining up behind the barricades. We're like, we asked the, the server, what's going on here? Like, oh, they're filming a movie downstairs, and pretty soon someone's going to show up. And we're like, okay, that's great. And and so as, as we, we finish eating, we're leaving, we walk like right out because they're filming the movie like right next to the restaurant. And this like black SUV pulls up, dark windows. Every, there's people everywhere, but we're like kind of inside this barricade area because we walked out of the restaurant. And then Jennifer Aniston walks out. And it was like 20-year-old to 30-year-old women, okay, are just like, Jennifer! just stampede through the barricades. I mean, it was crazy. We're caught all in the middle of this, right? But we do this today. We prepare the way. 
got the barricades, got the security guards, got the, got the SUVs pulling up. We want these movie stars to show up, and we want people to admire and see how, how great they are. But here's the difference. God isn't after a massive public works project. He's after a prepared heart. And that's the difference. He's after prepared hearts. He's not after us physically going down and straightening the roads, taking the mountains down. He's after people whose hearts have been prepared. The good news is there's nothing. There isn't a mountain. There isn't a valley. There isn't a crooked road. There isn't unlevel road that is going to stop the coming of Jesus. He is coming. He is coming in power. He is coming in authority. Nothing that's going to hinder his arrival. Look, get ready. I'm going to come. We need to prepare our hearts. And what I love about this passage is in verse 6, we see this. And all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Now, in Matthew and Mark and in John's gospel, they, they include this passage on Isaiah 40. But they don't include all of this passage like Luke does. Luke is the only one who says, you know what? This passage out of Isaiah 40 is right on. This is, this is the, the prophetic word that John the Baptist fulfills. But Luke is the only one who includes verse 5, and that's all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Luke's careful that we know, that we know that this message of salvation from Jesus Christ is not just a message for a few select Jewish people who happen to be there at the time. It says this message is for all people. I want you to know this. That this is included in here for us to know. Jesus is here to proclaim the message for all people. He says, I want you to know this is the message for everybody. And you know what? This is the same message that we proclaim today. This is the same message that our church sends out. Prepare the way of the Lord. Salvation is in Jesus Christ alone. This is the message that has gone forth from this point in time to our church today, across the world, across the towns, across the nations. This is the message that we as Mercy Hill Church and as believers in Jesus Christ proclaim. Salvation is in Jesus Christ alone. You know what? I even think we've got these little Easter bags. I don't know if you have just seen these things. We've got these white Easter bags that we're handing out. I think, why do we do these? Why do we hand out Easter bags with Bibles and tracts and, and, and invitations to church? We do this because we are, we are fulfilling the call that God has put on us to do this very thing. These Easter bags aren't just cute, nice Easter bags we want to we just kind of pass around. This is a way that we proclaim the message of Jesus Christ to all people. And so that's why these things are so important because this is just a means of a way that we do these things. So, who is John the Baptist? Not your average prophet, not your run-of-the-mill street preacher. He's the prophetic forerunner of the Messiah, of Jesus Christ. How does he make straight paths, level ground? We prepare our hearts. And according to John, this preparing of the heart is done and it starts with repentance. This preparing of the heart starts with repentance, okay? And repentance is more than just, I'm sorry, 
my bad, I shouldn't have done that. Repentance is actually turning away from something, but turning towards something else. So it's a turning away from sin and forsaking sin and, 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 and pushing sin aside and turning towards Jesus Christ. So it's more than just, I'm sorry for what I've done, I'm going to keep doing it. It's a no, I'm going to, I'm going to stop what I'm doing, I'm going to say I'm sorry for what I've done, and I'm going to run in the opposite directions as hard and as fast as I can. And that direction is in Jesus Christ. So he says, repent. Repentance prepares the way for the Lord. That's what he's saying. And what this is so, what I love about this is he's dealing with people who had this expectation that the Messiah was going to be some political powerhouse. He's going to come in and he's going to deal with, with, with pagan, wicked Rome who is occupying the, the land at the time. And he's, going to, he's going to take care of things and mop things up, clean it up, restore Israel to a place of prominence again, politically and, 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 and internationally. So we are, they are expecting that kind of Messiah, a political savior. And he's saying, look, that's not what Jesus Christ came to do. He's not a political Messiah. He's not that political Messiah. Christ came to work on our hearts. He came to do a work in us, to work on the spiritual condition of our souls. Okay, so that's who John the Baptist is. That's who the gospel writers have said he is. Now we're going to look at the meat of his message. What is this message that John the Baptist brings? We're looking at verses 3, 7 through 9. And he said, therefore, to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And I, I heard that, I'm like, yeah, that's, that's, that's kind of a hard message. That's not good. But I want to just kind of contextualize this for us. I want us to be able to hear, what is, if we were listening to him at that time, how would we have been affected? Because I feel like the, what he says and the response of the people, it shows that there's something more than just, oh, that was nice. Thanks, John. Appreciate you bringing that to me. I'll think about it. There's this quickening in the, in the response of the people. It says, man, there's something more going on. And so if he were to preach his message to us today, it would go something like this. You hypocrites, who do you think you are? Showing up to church week after week, thinking that just because you show up to church on Sunday morning, that everything's going to be okay. You've got money, but you don't share. You've got poor people that you turn a blind eye to. As a matter of fact, you may be sitting someone next to someone right now who needs the very thing that you have and you're unwilling to share. Don't think that because you were born in a Christian home, because you were baptized as a baby, 
because you've done any of these things, that you're going to be okay. God is after your heart. And the way that you're living, it's not evidence that there's been any change in you whatsoever. Unless you turn from your sins, you are going straight to hell. And there's no other place for you. Now, that sounds a little bit different than what we read about this fire and axe and those kinds of things. And I think, why is he so intense? What's the big deal? And he's talking to people who've actually come out to hear him. He should be like, man, thanks for showing up today. I'm really glad that you're here. I'm so glad that you made it out. You got out of bed. You, you, you kind of came out to the wilderness. You want to hear a good message. You may even want to get baptized. I don't want to offend anybody. I want you to be my friends. This is a good thing. He really brings it to him. John the Baptist knew something, that some of his groupies were phonies, that some of these people were coming out because they liked the thought of salvation, they liked the idea of the forgiveness of sins, but they were unwilling to turn from those sins. What they wanted was a false repentance. Hey, I'm, gonna, you know, I'm sorry for what I've done. I'm going to get baptized. I'm going to come out to hear John preach week after week after week. And I'm going to leave feeling like, oh, that's good. And I'm so glad I attended that service. I'm so glad I got baptized. You know, what John said was good. And we'll even maybe talk about this week a little bit. But I'm unwilling to change. My life is still the same as it was before this. And he says that it's not true repentance. He says, I've got a problem with that. You need a change. I'm not going to just make you feel good about yourself. I want you to know the truth. There's got to be an inner transformation of your heart that Almighty God does in us and to us that is evidenced by the fruit of walking away from sin and walking to Jesus Christ. And we sit in church here with a group this, this many people we can sometimes think that we are okay. Some of us grew up in church. Some of us have parents who taught us the scriptures. Some of us have grandparents maybe that were missionaries or, or pastors. And so we can sit in church and think, you know what? I'm doing okay. I've gone to church my whole life. When the plate comes around, I put a, put a pretty good-sized chunk in. When the worship comes, I raise my hands. But none of those things make us a Christian. He's saying, look, just because you're listening to me speak, because you've come out to be baptized by me, because you want to, to, to hear me, doesn't make you a Christian. He says, look, it's much, much more than that. It takes an inner work of Almighty God. And guys, it's the same message for us today. Because you're sitting here today, doesn't make you a Christian. Because you've attended here since we, since we launched or you've attended here for a certain amount of time. Look, it's more than that. It's so much more than that. And he says, look, don't delay. Don't say, well, I'll get to that tomorrow. Don't say, I like my life and therefore I can just kind of get to Christ or get to God when things get hard or when things are things for me begin to kind of spiral out of control or I don't understand, then I'll turn to God. John the Baptist is saying, don't delay. 
Don't give up. This is important right now. He's saying judgment is coming soon. He's saying the axe is laid at the root. This is now, not later. It says judgment is on the way. I want to read to you this quote by J.C. Ryle in his commentary on Luke. He says, It is vain to say with our lips that we repent if we do not at the same time repent in our lives. It is more than vain. It will gradually sear our consciences and harden our hearts. Doing is the very life of repentance. Don't fool yourself. Don't fool yourself to think that you can just do whatever you want. As long as you show up to church on Sunday, everything's going to be okay. Because there needs to be an inner transformation by Almighty God that is evidenced by a forsaking of sin and running to Jesus Christ with all of your heart. And so he says, what happens after the axe strikes the tree and you're cut down? He doesn't say, well, then you're replanted in a nicer field, maybe more fertile. Maybe he'll move you to someone's front yard so you can kind of be a nice decoration. Maybe he'll prune you back. He says, you are thrown into hell. And that's why the response that we see in verses 10 to 14, they say, what, what must we do? What, what do we do? And you can tell there's probably an urgency, a little bit of an urgency in their voice that says, what are we going to do now? Tell me what I need to do. I hear your message and it rings true and I need to know what I must do. As I thought about this this week, I thought, how would we respond to that? If someone came to you and said, man, I don't know what to do. I feel convicted by God. What do I need to do? What should my response be? How would you respond to that? What would you say to those people? What would you say to that person who came up to you and said, tell me what I got to do? And I thought of all the answers that I would give. And look, you need, to, you need to surrender your life to God. You need to, you need to get into a good church. You need to start reading your Bible. You need to, you know, on and on and on. And what, I, what I'm amazed by is the response that John gives. He doesn't give the response that I would give. He gives some, something completely from left field kind of response, like, okay, how does that work? Well, let's look at what he says, verses 10 through 14. And the crowds asked him, what then shall we do? And he answered them, whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none. And whoever has food is to do likewise. Tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, collect no more than you are authorized to do. Soldiers also asked him, and we, what shall we do? And he said to them, Do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusation, and be content with your wages. Not the response I was thinking. I mean, he's talking about the axe being laid to the root, trees getting thrown into the fire, repentance makes make you know make the path straight. And so he begins to preach about some things. They're unlikely. Let's look what he says. Now remember, he's, he's, he's poor. He's preaching to poor people. This wasn't an affluent society. 
all kinds of money, everything they want, they can practically get. He's preaching to poor people, okay? And this is what he says. He turns to the crowds first and says this, give as much as you are able. Give what you are able to give. If you have two tunics, give to someone who doesn't have one. If you've got food, give to someone who needs food. Look, if you've got two cars and you know someone who does not have a car, give them one of your cars. You're going to the shopping market, bring someone with, fill their car and pay for it. If you can do that, do that. It's just that simple. Then he turns to the tax collectors. Now, these guys did have money. So the crowds, poor, tax collectors did have money. But the money they had came with a price. The high life came with a price. They were hated by everybody. See, in the Roman government, what they would do is they would, they would take tax collection and they'd, they'd farm it out to people in their own society. So he'd go to, they'd go to the Jewish nation, they would accept bids by people who would say, hey, I, want to, I can collect so much taxes in this region, and the highest bidder would get the job. But then what they would do is they would collect the taxes, but they would collect a little bit extra. Whatever extra they collected, they pocketed for themselves. So they got rich. So these guys were taking money from their own people to give back to a pagan, oppressive government. And so you could see why people would hate these guys. Like, you're my brother, and you're taking my money, and you're giving it to a pagan, wicked country. And not only that, but you're taking extra from me and keeping it for yourself. You're stealing from me. You can imagine these guys were not popular. What does he say to them? He says, quit your jobs, get a real job, quit stealing from your brothers because that's wrong. You know what he says? He says, don't cheat, be fair. That's it. You think he'd he'd lay into these guys. What are you thinking? You know what you're doing isn't right. But he just says, do your job well. Don't take more than you should. Then the soldiers come to him, and these soldiers are probably Jewish soldiers, probably given to protect the tax collectors. That's how unpopular these guys were. They were hired to protect the tax collectors. You know what he says to them? Don't intimidate, and don't take money by force. Be content with what you have. That's it. I would would have said much more than that. That's all he says. That's it. But there's a common thread to everything that he says here. You know what that common thread is? It's money. It's money. For each, the the crowds, the tax collectors, and the soldiers. This is common thread of money. As I thought about this week, I just, why money? Why, Why does it have to be money? I think with money, there's such incredible potential for good, there's also such incredible potential for evil. With that same dollar that you have, you have the opportunity to send it on missions to impact the world with the name of Jesus, but you also have the same potential to go and download internet pornography. The same dollar. The same dollar that could go affect the nations. But the message of Jesus Christ can also be used to destroy people's lives and marriages. Look, this is important. This is important. Really, what's the point? It comes down to social justice. I want to read just this quote 
by a, a guy by the name of Fred Craddock, and he writes this, food and clothing are to be shared with people who have none. Taxes are not to be calculated according to the greed of the people who are in power. And the military must stop victimizing the poor people under their occupation by constant threats, intimidation, and blackmail. This is about social justice, about caring for people. And so he says, what are you doing with your money? Where is your treasure at? Are you using it for your own self? Are you using it to buy more clothes when there's people around you who have none? Are you using it for your own selfish things? Are you just acquiring more stuff? Well, there's people around you who are hungry and needy and desperate. Not only is this situation hard, but every, every situation we're in is fraught with temptations. Husbands are tempted to abuse their authority. Children are tempted to disobey their parents. Workers are tempted to cheat the company out of, out of, out of money, out of time worked. Bosses are harsh with employees. Teachers discriminate against difficult students. The list goes on and on and on and on. And what, what he is after is John prepares the way. He says, repent. Give all of your life over to the Lord. Submit everything to him. There is nothing that he says that you have that you should not submit to God. That is, that is a heart that is prepared for Jesus. Now, this also makes me think of a passage in Acts, in Acts 2. You don't have to turn there, but in Acts 2, See the beginning of the ministry of the disciples. And also this book, was, Acts, was also written by Luke. And Peter gets up, the apostle Peter gets up and preaches this, this hard-hitting message. Brings, the Holy Spirit brings conviction on people. And what's the response? The same one. What do we do? The crowds look at Peter and say, what do we do? What do we do with what you just said? You know what Peter says? says the same thing pretty much as John the Baptist. It says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. It's the same message. And that's the same message that I'm giving you today. You may be sitting here today and think, I'm okay. I go to church. I tithe. I listen to podcasts. I have a Bible that I read every once in a while. That does not make you okay. It's a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's trusting that he died for your sins and that you forsake and turn from your sins and turn towards him and say, I give you everything. Lord, I give you everything. I'm not going to try to do this false repentance thing. Lord, I give everything over to you. By the mercy and grace of God, he brings us to himself and brings us into relationship with himself. And we no longer have to fear the fires of hell, just like John was saying in this passage. And so even though it's a, it's a hard message, what it does do is say, if this is the forerunner of Jesus, what's Jesus like? And this is just a forerunner. This is just the guy preparing the way for the main show. This guy's the opening act. What's the main show like? 
We're going to get into that in the next number of months. But I want to ask you, have you fully submitted your life to Christ? Have you repented of your sins? And that's more than, I'm sorry, it's, I'm sorry, but I'm turning away from them. And I am submit my life to Jesus. Have you done that? Is your heart prepared for the Lord? We're going to pray, and Larry's going to come up, and we're going to take communion together. But I don't want you to leave here today without answering that question, without really considering what it would my response be to that. Have I fully submitted my life to Christ? Have I trusted in Jesus for salvation and nothing else? Have I repented of my sins, turning completely away from them, turning towards Jesus? Or have I just lived my life as if I'm the one in charge? I'm the king of my life. If that is you, we can pray with you after the service. We can tell you about this Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you this morning for the good news that you send us warning and invitation to yourself. God, you don't leave us on your own, but you pursue us. You draw us near to yourself. We thank you for that, God. And I pray today that there would not be anyone here that would leave without answering that question. Lord, I pray that the areas of our own lives that we need to submit and surrender to you, Lord, we would do that joyfully. God, thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen.